those that are visiting, this is our 18th lesson in Psalm 119, and uh, we are trying to work our way through the eighth set of eight verses, and uh, we got halfway through last Thursday night, and we're going to try to finish uh, the last four verses this Thursday night, but we're, we're watching in the life of the psalmist, and again, uh, we call this series the treatise on God's Word. Now, a treatise is a complete treatment. It's looking at something from every conceivable angle, and 176 looks at God's Word, I think, just about covers that definition, don't you? Uh, oh, there we go. Don't play with the chandeliers back there. And uh, the... Uh, we are watching the building here in the life of the psalmist. Another way you could look at this, this is the personal prayer journal. This is the reflection of what God's Word is doing in the life of the psalmist here. And we refer to him as the psalmist because we're really not sure who wrote Psalm 119. Uh, most of the evidence points toward David but again, as we've said so many times, where the Bible is silent, let's not try to be loud. Amen? Uh, but here we, we see in verse 25, and just catch the building here, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. I mean, he got the slats kicked out, we might say. I mean, he's laying face down. And uh, sometimes when you get knocked down, how many of you have ever been knocked down? You just say, maybe I'll just stay here a little bit. Anybody ever been like that? I mean, that's what it's talking about, cleaving to the dust. But he has a hope in verse 32. He says, I will run. He says, one of these days, I'm not going to be laying down. I'm going to be running in the way, but God's going to have to enlarge my heart. Now, I'll tell you, that's a great prayer request. Not physically. An enlarged heart physically is not a good thing, but spiritually it's the best thing you can have. In fact, I can't remember the name, but one of the famous runners uh, back about 20 years ago uh, had, was born with an enlarged heart. And because his heart was oversized, he was able to run long distances farther and faster than most people. Uh, now, that's a very rare instance. Most of the time when the heart enlarges by itself, it's because the muscle has been weakened due to different types of diseases and things like that. And, and we could spend all night here, but you can't enlarge your heart yourself without hurting yourself. But if God grows it, then you can do more. Amen? Verse 33, he's saying, teach me, O Lord. I want to move from this step. I don't want to be wrapped up in me and my pain. Lord, let me move past that. And then we get to 41 and, and, and the next strophe, the vow strophe there. And he's talking about, listen, I have a hope that's going to go further. And then we come to Zane, verse 49. And he says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. He said, I'm getting those answers 
that you have given me. I understand it's not about me. It's all about you. Thy statutes, verse 54, have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Now look at verse 56. This I had. I had all these blessings because I kept thy precepts. Now I'll tell you what. The blessings of God in your life will be in direct reference, in direct correlation to your obedience to God. If you want God to bless you, obey His Word. That's why God says, obey my Word. God does not want anything but His best. And the psalmist is moving to the next level in the eighth or the cheth strophe. He says, thou art my portion. Lord, you're my inheritance. You're the most valuable thing I possess. I don't know which preacher did this, but this was back in the 70s, the height of the Cold War, and the liberals were doing all kinds of awful things, and he just started waxing eloquent, and he said, they're going to fly the hammer and sickle over the White House, and they're going to take away our freedoms and our churches and our Bibles, and we won't have anything left but God. Uh Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Maybe that's not a bad thing. The psalmist said, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. He said, Lord, you're actually allowing me to do what your word says. Now, I'll tell you, there is no greater thing that can happen in the life of a Christian than to watch God set that direction in your life. And then ten years later you say, Lord, I'm still here. Not because of me. It's all because of you. I said that I would keep thy word. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. How do you entreat God's favor? Just obey his word. That's how his favor comes, amen? We have this idea. How many of you remember that stupid book, The Prayer of Jabez? Anybody remember that? That the prayer of Jabez is not a mantra to be repeated. That's not how you entreat God's favor. You entreat God's favor by simply doing what God wants you to do today. It's not complicated, amen? And as you entreat His favor, then you can expect God's mercies. And we're going to read, this theme is going to get back in the last half. He said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Now look at verse 61. We're going to dig in here. It says, the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. Now, we made a big deal about 
the Daleth, verses 25 through 32, the psalmist was in despair. He was in pain. He was flat on his face. He had been knocked down. There was a lot of things going on that were not good in his life. And of course, when you are going through pain and suffering, you have one major concern. You. Now, the psalmist is not using so many eyes again until we get to verse 57. And just so we make sure that we have the right thought, the psalmist is turning toward himself and he's saying, look, this is what happened in my life, but it's not about me, it's about God's words. How many of you have ever been literally robbed? I mean, someone came and stole things from you. How many of you sat down right after that happened and said, thank you, Lord, for allowing this to come into my life? I don't see anybody going like this. I see several people going like this. You feel violated when someone steals your possessions especially if it was stolen violently. I mean, there are, there are people that are the victims of violent crime that, I mean, they'll, they'll change their entire life. Hole up in their house. They won't go anywhere unless somebody goes with them. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot of horrible things. Here he's saying, listen, the bands of the wicked have robbed me. Now, If David were the psalmist, let's stop and think about that for a minute. How many of you remember what happened to David at the cave of Adullam? He ended up with 600 mouths to feed. I mean, he had... ...start out very good now, did they? I mean, they were mighty powerful in trouble when they came down to David. They were distressed. They were in debt. They were discontent. I think that discontent was the worst of all of them. But here, the psalmist, if it was David, said, listen, the bands of the wicked have robbed me. That means groups of soldiers were too powerful. David did not have the power to stop them from taking his possessions. Robbery is the forcible forfeiture of your personal possessions. That means whoever took them, you did not have the power to stop them. That's why you feel violated. And especially, I mean, you've heard the joke, they put the gun at you, your money or your life. Well, I'm thinking about it. Listen, David said, listen, I've I've lost those things. Those who were stronger than I, those who laid in wait, those who were wicked, those who had conspired together to do evil, have taken from me what rightfully belongs to me. Now let me tell you something. You can get consumed with bitterness, with a thought of revenge, with I think the most dangerous of all is the attempt to protect yourself. 
If God's not going to protect you, are you going to? Hmm? Why do you think the psalmist answered to this revelation, to this explanation of something that happened to him? He said, but I have not forgotten thy law. He said, I haven't allowed God's judgment. I haven't allowed the things. I'm sorry, let me start over again. I haven't allowed what was taken from me to hinder my ability to serve God. To take my focus off of God. God is in control. Amen? Now, you look through this, this is a recurring theme all the way through the psalm. The psalmist is saying, listen, blessed is the undefiled in the way. That's where the psalm starts. That's the goal of the Christian life, is to walk undefiled in the way. That's where we ought to be. By the way, there is only one way. Amen? God doesn't have a multiplicity of routes that bring you to His blessing. He says, I've got a way for you. You've got to find out what that way is. You've got to walk in it. But look at verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me. He said, you know what? While I'm trying to be in the way, the wicked are trying to get me out of the way. While I'm trying to go forward, there's going to be those that are going to hinder me and try to keep me. And as always... You look at what's going on in the world today. You rebuff the wicked. What do they do? They redouble their efforts to continue in their wickedness. Isn't it true? I mean, Mr. Ayman jihad there, the leader of Iran. I mean, how many times has the world went to him and said, listen, you've got to stop this. And he just goes, <laughs> I'm not going to stop this. We have a right to destroy the world. The wicked is not going to stop. The wicked does what the wicked do because they're wicked. There's only one cure for wickedness, my friend. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The wicked will never stop doing wickedness until they get saved or God confines their soul to the pit. Don't try to make a deal with the wicked. But what's the worst thing you can do? Pay attention to them, amen? Now, all of our people that live in New York City... Let our visitors know what happens to you when you act afraid and start panicking in New York City. You just have painted a big target on you. 
And every person of ill will is now looking to take advantage of you. Isn't that the way it works? If you give in to the working of the wicked, they're just going to take advantage of you more. Here's what he says. He said, the bands of the wicked have robbed me. This meant they had more power than the psalmist did. They violated him. They removed forcibly goods and maybe even some of the things that God had blessed him with. I mean, when God blesses us physically, do we not attribute to God what he has given us? And yet the bands of the wicked had taken these things from him. And the psalmist is saying, God is still in control. I have not forgotten thy judgments. Go back to verse 53 with me, if you would, for a minute. Now, this is the preceding strophe or set of eight verses. He is understanding. He tells us in verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction. They haven't stopped trying to hurt him. In fact, it just keeps setting up higher and higher and higher because that's what wicked people do. But look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Now, most of us look at this verse exactly the opposite of what the psalmist intended. I'm scared of what the wicked's going to do to me. That's not what the psalmist was horrified about. He was horrified because God's judgments were coming upon those wicked people who had turned their back against the grace and mercy of God. Could we allow God to make us more afraid of God than of man? That person that violated you, that stole your stuff. Is there anyone here that would be so sinful as to say, I hope they never make it to heaven? Because if you can say that, you better check your salvation out, my friend. You can't have God's forgiveness and not extend it to others. And by the way, that's the key that keeps you from getting wrapped up in the wickedness of others. Because once you do that, allow it to consume your thoughts, allow it to consume your affections, you can't serve God. The psalmist uses the fear of God. I have not forgotten thy law. The psalmist says, listen, I'm not going to allow their wickedness to cause me to step out of the way because God is a holy God. And if I step out of the way even a little bit as his child, I am no longer undefiled in the way and I'm no longer going to be able to enjoy the benefits of obedience to his word. And I'm not going to let those bands of the wicked drive me away from obedience to God's word. You see, it's not just repetition. Even though many of the words sound the same, the psalmist is dealing with a whole brand new set of problems. But the answer is God's Word. 
Look at the next verse. He says, At midnight I will rise to take my acid reflux medicine because of all the awful things that are happening to me. Is that what your King James Bible says? No, I just made that up. But isn't that the way we treat it most of the time? Isn't that the way we deal with stress? Is, I can't sleep. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pour my heart out to God that he'll take this terrible burden away. That was not the psalmist's idea of dealing with stress. He says, I will rise to, I'm sorry, yes, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Now, again, he put I will in there. This is a future expectation. And he's saying, listen, they've robbed me. I've not forgotten thy judgments. I am not going to allow the privation of the wicked to hinder my ability to be thankful. How many of you have read Romans chapter 1? What is the first step toward the destruction and total apostasy and removal from God of those souls that are talked about in Romans chapter 1? They were unthankful. That's the first step. When you are unthankful... You're accusing God of doing wrong. Now, we just went over when you were robbed. Wait a minute. And I raised my hand. I know what it is to be robbed. (laughs) But are we going to allow the forfeiture of worldly possessions to stop us from being thankful for God to God for all of his blessings. Remember, thankfulness is rendering to God what belongs to him for what he is doing. Now, just a minute, the psalmist said, Hey, God, you allowed the bands of the wicked to take my stuff. What was rightfully mine, what you have given me, they took it. But I'm not going to forget thy law. I'm not going to let their wickedness take my attention away from your word. But I want my life to be so full of the blessings of God that I cannot sleep. How many of you remember the story? Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas sang dirges in the dungeon. Didn't they? Does anybody even know what a dirge is? I'm sorry. It's a funeral song. No. Read the the passage when you go home. They sang praises. The The blood of their bodies covered the floor upon which they sat. Attracting the lice and the vermin and everything else that was in that 
prison. They were suffering. What did they do? They sang praises. Now, here's what you and I do. Okay, God, I'm supposed to be thankful. I'm going to try. Dear Lord, I I just want to be thankful. I can't do it. That's where we are. You see, praise and thanksgiving to God is not something you can gin up on the inside. It's something that can only come from a living relationship with the living God. And when we allow the events of this world to take our eyes off the goodness of God, we can't be thankful. And when we're not thankful, we can't serve. And when we're not serving, we make ourselves pray to the wicked. You're either building your relationship with God or you're tearing it down. You can't do both. Somebody said, no, I'm one of those guys. I'm just straight and steady. Yeah? Uh, Let's just take that straight and steady and put it on the proper plane. Because that's the only direction you go straight and steady in. It is down. If you're going to go up, it's going to be up. Down, up, down, up, down because of human nature. And if you don't keep your heart wrapped up in the words of God, if you can't allow the blessings of God to to just rise, make you get up and give God thanks, why did He give God thanks at midnight? Because of thy righteous judgments. How many of you have been upset by what has happened in America, America's political uh, history the last uh, few months here? I mean, the Italian word is agida. Doesn't that describe it? I mean, you don't even have to know what that word means. You know what, it, what it's talking about. Now, wait a minute. Can I trust in God's righteous judgments? Can I? Is God going to be unrighteous? No. I can trust in... In fact, that's the only comfort I can have in these days and times. And by the way, God does not intend for me to comfort myself in the fact that God's going to get those so-and-sos. Don't read that into the text. It's not there. When God finally settles the score, you know what you and I are going to be doing? We're going to be wishing we had done more to give the gospel to that person. It won't do any good to plead on their behalf because they're going to be judged. That's why God says... Uh, we love that verse. He's going to wipe away all, their, all tears. Don't you love that promise? But I want to remind you, that doesn't come until after the great white throne judgment, not before. The psalmist says, At midnight I will rise because 
of thy righteous judgments. Now look at verse 63. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Now again, Hebrew poetry takes ideas and either bounces them off of each other or builds them one upon the other. It's not a rhyming of words. It's a, it's a completion of thoughts. And he's saying here, listen, the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I've not forgotten thy law. He said, at midnight, I'm not going to rise up and cry and wail because I have lost these things. I'm going to rise up and praise God because I'm full of his righteous judgments. That's where my hope and my faith is. And guess what? I am a companion. Now, college guys, uh, unmarried college guys, most of you, I would say, are looking for a companion. Amen. Uh, that's a big thing at Heartland Baptist Bridal College, right? <laughs> it's a big thing to find your life's companion. And I don't mean to make light of it, but the hardest thing to do is wait till God brings that person along. Amen. But this idea of having a companion, having someone to walk alongside, someone to bear the burdens of life. How many times has God just sent his companions at the right time to do what was necessary? I think of times back when I was traveling just like crazy, trying to raise money for the building, and my wife had to do a lot of things by herself. And I'll tell you what, there were times when God just sent somebody to help her. This is what the psalmist is saying. He said, I'm a companion. He said, even though the bands of the wicked have robbed me, I've not forgotten thy law, and I got my eyes open. I'm looking for an opportunity to be someone else's friend, to be someone else's helper. The number one mental problem we deal with in the United States today is clinical depression, is it not? And I've often said, have you ever tried to read the diagnosis or the clinical description of depression? It's that thick. There's not a living human being that cannot be diagnosed clinically depressed at any point in their life. If you're happy, guess what? It's because you're reacting to the depression that is in you. And so you're pretending to be happy because you're going to be sad on another day. Could it just be that you're a normal human being and you experience different emotions on different... No, you're depressed. Oh, I get so tired of this stuff. You see, people have to have an excuse to quit living. That's what people want. 
The psalmist said, listen, I'm not putting up with excuses. I'm a companion. I'm looking for somebody I can help. You want to get cured of depression? You ask God to open your eyes and be someone else's companion. Has God ever used you to actually help another human being and encourage them? If He has, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You benefit much, much more than the person that actually benefited from your help. The psalmist is saying, listen, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee. And I'm going to build on this. Because see, if you fear God, what are you going to do? And of them that keep thy precepts. These are the descriptions. If you're keeping God's law, why do you keep God's law? His precepts, His statements, why do you keep them? It's because you fear or reverence, respect God. Amen? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If I fear God, I'm going to be obedient. If I'm actually being obedient to God for His for the proper reasons, guess what? I'm fearing Him. And guess what friends like to do? Friends like to do things together. Isn't that true? And it usually helps if they're doing the same thing at the same time. Amen? Have you ever met two friends and they're sitting there? What do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Um, I'm not sure. What do you want to do? That's why I don't believe in dating. Amen? But he's saying, now wait a minute. I'm not just going around looking for people that I can be a friend to. That's one of the greatest problems we have going on in religion today. Is everybody's looking for an opportunity to better themselves by helping someone else. That's not what psalmist is talking about. He's saying, I'm a companion to those that fear thy name and to those that keep thy precepts. I'm going to find me somebody that's trying to serve God and I'm going to help them serve God. You know why? Because when I help somebody serve God, I'm lifting up those hands that hang down. I'm lifting up the weary uh, the, the weary hands, and uh, it talks about that in the book of Hebrews there. I'm encouraging someone else to count for eternity. Now, that's one of the things that we hope in this inner city missions class is that you will be burdened for what's going on in the cities. And you'll be, if God never allows you to come into the church, I can't tell you, tell you the stories of all the pastors. I remember one pastor in particular. He just took me aside. He was uh, actually one of the friends of my uh, father-in-law. He's a man old enough to be my father. And he said, I envy you, Brother Montoro. He said, God never let me start a church. He said, but God let you start a church. He said, and I'm going to help you. And by the way, he did. $5,000 worth of help. I like that kind of help. Amen? And all I could say, well, brother, and I'm not going to give his name, brother so-and-so, maybe, maybe God didn't let you start the church so you'd have such a burden to help people like us that really, really, really need it. And he said, I'm sure that's what it is. 
But you see, that's being a companion. Amen? He said, I'm a companion of all them. You know what? One of the most wonderful things about being a Bible-believing Christian, I don't have to be picky about who I'm a companion with. I just got to find somebody who believes this book. Amen? And you know what? It's not hard to find those who don't. They, they make it pretty plain pretty quick now, don't they? They're going, well, Brother Montour, I'm not crazy like you are. Okay, that's fine. I'll help you where I can. But listen, I'm going to be a companion of all them, rich, poor, young, old, that fear thy name. And of them that keep thy precepts. Now look at the result of this. He starts out in verse 57 by saying, Thou art my portion, O Lord. You're my inheritance. The division of the wealth, the portion that comes to me, is the presence of Almighty God. Now if David was a psalmist, why might he say that? Because Saul lost his portion. Remember that? David knew what it was like to be king without the Lord. But look at the last verse there. He builds again. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. When is the last time you have looked around you and seen God's mercy? I mean, it's easy to, to look at beautiful pictures and the mountains and trees and all of those wonderful things that don't exist here in New York City and to say, God, you're just such a great creator to make all of that beauty. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say the earth, O oh Lord, is full of beauty it says it's full of thy mercy. Now we only have a few minutes and we can't go back and get everything, but remember what mercy is? Mercy is what the defeated receives from the victor. Right? It is what happens when true surrender on the part of the defeated is met by love and compassion from the victor. Isn't that mercy? How often do we need to remind ourselves that we are the defeated? Uh, it says daily, take up your cross, amen? You see, it's not about you. It's about the desires of the victor. When's the last time you looked at what is around you and thought about God's mercy? I mean, I, I look at this verse and I think about the mercy of God that lets that little weed grow up through the crack in the sidewalk. 
There's life springing out of death. Concrete is dead. Now, I'm going to do the same thing you are. I'm going to pull the weed. Because I don't want to cracken up all the rest of the concrete. But I want to see God's work in spite of what we do as human beings. Amen? I know that's a silly illustration, but I hope you see what we're talking about. God is always there to bring life. We think even in the death. Brother Thompson, he's gone from this world. But you know what? He's not gone. He's more alive now than he has been in a long time. He is unfettered. He's been released from the pain and suffering of a human body. Aren't you glad God's mercy was there to usher him to the other side? The earth is full of God's mercy. But you've got to look for it, my friend. It's everywhere. We do not deserve mercy. We deserve judgment. But yet the psalmist says, listen, those are my counselors. That's my comfort. When they steal my earthly possessions, I'm going to not forget thy judgments. I'm going back to them. I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and keep thy commandments. I'm sorry, keep thy precepts. He said, the earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy everywhere I go. Look for God's mercy. It's there. Then, do you see that last plea that he ends with? Teach me thy statutes. Now, how many times did the psalmist say, teach me thy statutes already? I mean, a lot of them. And we're not going to take time to go back and review them all. But why is he ending this with, teach me thy statutes? It's not because he hasn't learned. It's because he wants more of what got him where he is. He wants more of that portion. He wants more of that favor. He wants more of that mercy. He wants to be able to think on his ways clearly and turn his feet into the direction that God wants them to go. He wants to be able to make haste and not have that heart just holding back and saying, oh, just wait a minute before you get so fanatical about obeying God. No, he said, I made haste and did not delay and delayed not to keep thy commandments. And when I was obedient, what happened? The bands of the wicked robbed me. But I'm not letting their wickedness keep me from serving God. I'm not going to forget thy word. But you know what? I'm going to go find somebody that's struggling to serve God and I'm going to help them. Boy, that'll solve your problems, let me tell you. Because everywhere I look, I see the mercy of the Lord. And mercy is a two-edged sword. It reminds me that I've been defeated. 
but I can also be thankful that he's the victor. Amen? God, give me a little bit more of what got me here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the psalmist look at what your word does. Now, Lord, we, we want your word to do some things in our hearts and in our lives. We want it to be a comfort in a time of pain and loss. Lord, we want to be so full of your blessings that we would rise in the middle of the night because we forgot to thank you for your blessings in our lives. Lord, you're in charge. We ask you to do your work in our hearts and in our lives. Before we finish that.